0: Um, the last thing, I want to invite my friend Michael Hill. Michael Hill is our director of worship experience. And um, oh, thank he you. normally has the guitar in his hand, but this morning um, he is bringing us the word. And we... Uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. I know. Um, and so we're just going um, to be blessed by him this morning. But I was, will you pray with me? Uh, let's put our hands out so they can be open and receptive to all that God has for us. Yeah. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you so much for my friend Michael. I thank you for the way that you grabbed the hold of his heart and the way that you've been forming him and crafting him, for the way that he does not take his foot off the pedal when it comes to being formed by you, to mining the depths of your grace and your truth and your love. I thank you for his preparation this morning and for all the things that you've done in him. And now, God, we pray that you would move through him, that his words would be your words, that we would sit this morning and be open to your Holy Spirit, that you would have an encouragement, a rebuke, a correction, whatever it might be, God, have your way with us. Use your servant, Michael, and form us for your honor and your glory. And all of God's kids said, amen Amen. and amen. Thank you, Ben.
1: Thank you, church. I received that blessing. But first hour was really fun because the first time you ever get to preach in your home church, like you feel like everyone's your grandma. It's like, you did so great. (laughs) So welcome to my living room. Well, uh, can I tell you guys a story? Is that cool? Long, long time ago. Way back in ancient Roman times, deep in some province of of the Roman Empire, there's a fairly well-to-do businessman, and he is up before the sun comes up. He's stressed. He's got this unresolved conflict that keeps him from staying asleep. And although his beautiful uh, Roman villa home is peaceful and serene in the pre-dawn, inside he's anything but peaceful and serene because he has this unresolved conflict in it. It wakes him up. And it's unusual for this particular guy to be uh, the one in conflict or to, the, uh, the, the guy who's got this chaos churning because he's actually known for being somebody who refreshes other people. Um, he and his family are Jesus followers, and in their beautiful home, they, they host a church. And uh, he has developed this reputation as being the guy who's like, he's loving on people. He's the one who makes people actually feel more at peace. But today, he's the one who's not feeling at peace. And so this is is what he has going on. This poor guy has been wronged, like wronged. And even though he's a Jesus follower, he's shaken because he's been wronged not only by one of his subordinates, but one of his very own indentured slaves. And after his slave did this awful thing, and we won't really, for the sake of the story, we don't need to go into what it was that he did, but after he'd done that, he had run away, leaving affectionate, that's what our character's name is, leaving affectionate, holding the bag for what his slave did, leaving him financially and legally liable for any of the damages that, that he incurred. And affectionate is conflicted because on the one hand, He's a Jesus follower. He had decided that he was gonna follow after Jesus and he made that decision knowing fully well that it was gonna rock his world, it was gonna turn everything upside down and he was gonna need to approach the world in a whole new set of of rules. So he knew this and, and he'd heard the stories about how just a few decades earlier, Jesus himself, when he had been asked, Rabbi, how many times do I need to forgive someone who has wronged me? And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times but 77 times. So he knew that he needed to forgive useful. That was his slave's name. Isn't that ironic? His runaway slave that had committed this crime against him. His name was useful. And he knew that he needed to forgive useful in the same way that God had forgiven him of his misdoings. But man, in the end, he, he, he knew all of that intellectually, but he had this unresolved emotional churning down here that he could not get rid of. It's one thing to know to, that you need to forgive somebody. It's another thing to actually do it. And then, you know, he would start thinking about the ways that he'd been wronged and, and his blood pressure would just begin to rise because he'd think, I have done nothing illegal. I've done, I'm the one who's wronged here. I've, I've done nothing that's considered immoral in my day and age. I, I purchased useful at the slave auction, just like people have done for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years. This is just normal life. What? I'm the one that's holding the bag here. And yet, he's a Christian. So he's just stuck in this cycle. I know I should forgive, but oh man, I just can't let it go. Well, later that morning, a few of his neighbors, they kind of peek over his fence, you know. Hey, useful. Find your slave yet? (laughs) You know, they're kind of doing this thing. He's thinking, oh, geez, here we go again. Oh, tell you what, my slaves would never run from me. They are way too afraid to run away from me because they know that I will drop the sweet hammer of justice on them if I find them. And I'll tell you what, if you ever capture your slave, we're going to be watching you, buddy, because you need to make an example for all of the slaves in the empire. There's 60 million of them. Can you imagine if they revolted against us? This is our way of life, and we need to protect it. So we're going to be watching you. Affectionate didn't like the way his neighbors made him feel, and he, he didn't appreciate their attitude toward the slave, but if he was really being honest about how he felt, he would think, they're kind of right. I mean, they're kind of right. This is our way of life. Why should I have to change? I've done nothing wrong. Yes, they're slaves. I understand that. I'm sorry that they're down here, but I shouldn't be punished for being up here. So he's stuck in this cycle for a while. Well, a few weeks later, maybe even a few months later, one evening as he and his family are retiring, um, there's a knock at the door of his bedroom. Master, he hears a slave girl's voice. Master, there's someone at the, at the door. Then he opens the door and he sees there in the, in the lamplight, he sees his slave girl and she's worried, this anxious, worried face. And she says, Master, it's useful. He's returned. And her worried face is, is saying, what is he even doing here? Doesn't he know what is going to happen to him if he returns? Well, affectionate just feels this flush of, the, you know, the, that rush of emotion of this unexpected moment. And as he grabs a lamp and makes his way to the doorway, he's thinking about all the things that he wants to say and all the things that he's rehearsed in his conversations with useful and, and the things that he wanted to drop the hammer on him. And as he comes to the doorway, he sees in the doorway there is Useful, he's gaunt, he's dirty, he just is haggard for months on the run, and his dirty face is just streaked with tears. And before affectionate can even say anything, uh, Useful just falls to the floor and he's like, Master, forgive me, please have mercy. And in his hand, he holds up this, this scroll and he says, Master, it's a letter, it's from our pastor, please, please read this. Affectionate doesn't know what to do with this. Why do, wait, what? Worlds are colliding. Why does he have a letter from my pastor? My pastor, thank you very much. He grabs the the, the scroll and he begins to read through it. And and yes, it is in fact addressed to him. And it is in fact from his pastor who he knows is is locked away in prison somewhere. And and he, he begins to read and he gets halfway and, Wait, what? What? He looks down at Useful, who's on the floor just trembling. i, I got to read this again. He reads through this letter and... He stu- is this asking me what I think it's asking me to do? Just to be sure, he reads through the brief letter from top to bottom, all the way through, and, and as comprehension of what is being asked of him begins to flood over him, he doesn't know what to do and he just collapses. Poor useful, he's on the, on the floor and he, he, he's courageous enough just to lift his face because he's desperate to see how his master is going to respond to what is in that letter because his life hangs in the balance and all useful or all affectionate can, can think to do is just stare back at him because he doesn't know what to do with this. The end. (laughs) That's the end. What a ripoff, right? It's a a cliffhanger. There's no end to the story. And it makes, whenever you uh, hear a cliffhanger story, it makes you go, oh, come on. And you want to, you know, think back and talk with your friends about about what happened and you're just dying to know what the answer is to the story. When my daughters were young, I used to tell them a bedtime story called Susie Spy. Boom. My daughter's over here. Susie Spy was a bedtime story that we used to tell. And it was, um, it was an improv story. And it was about an ordinary girl who got called into this secret spy organization. And she had all these cool gadgets and like a laboratory underneath her classroom and whatnot. But the thing with Susie's Spy is every episode <clears throat> ended with a cliffhanger. And it would usually be something... This is pre-clickbait days, by the way. Yeah, it would usually end with something like, And when Susie opened the door, she couldn't believe what she saw. Stay tuned next time for another exciting episode of Susie Spy. And the girls will be like, oh, daddy, I knew you were going to do that again. But the very next morning, they would be asking, or the next night, can we hear Susie Spy? What happened to Susie Spy? <laughs> so fortunately for us, one of the greatest cliffhangers of all time is right in our New Testament Bible. And it has one of the most explosive uh, implications, both for its own day and also for our day. So today we're going to crack open the epistle to Philemon. And we're going to read about how an ordinary businessman is called into an extraordinary partnership. So Philemon is Greek for affectionate, that's his name. And his slave, useful, his name was Onesimus. Um, oh, by the way, I should probably mention that none of the story I just told is in the scripture. If you've never heard the story of Philemon, that is not in the Bible. Make sure that that's abundantly clear. Uh, but we are going to read together the epistle of Philemon. Before we do that, if you have a paper Bible, or if you have your electronic device, you can crack that open. Um, the book of Philemon is, a, is a, like a one-pager. It's the shortest book in the Bible. And if you're whipping through your pages, you might, um, you might miss it. So it's, it's wedged in between Titus and, uh, and uh, what is it? Um, Hebrews. Titus and Hebrews. Um, and if, you, if you're scrolling too fast, just slow down when you get to First and Second Timothy. Start to put on the brakes. And there's, there's Philemon. So let me um, explain a little bit of what has happened here in the book of Philemon. We have three characters. And in the, in the epistle to Philemon, we only hear from the Apostle Paul, who's writing the letter. And everything else, we have to piece together what is transpired and what is being asked uh, of Philemon. So this uh, epistle to Philemon is, like I mentioned before, it's the shortest book of the Bible. There's that. It's kind of interesting. It's also one of, the, uh, one of only two epistles that were written directly to a specific person. So the other one being John, uh, John 3. Um, Paul uh, was locked away in prison. This, this is what we call um, the, the prison letters, the prison epistles. There are a handful of letters that Paul wrote to various churches as he's you know pastoring them and, and, uh, and mentoring them. Um, but he's doing that from prison. And um, so he writes to Philemon. Philemon, again, we can only piece this together. He clearly was uh, affluent enough that he was able to host the church in his home, He was affluent enough to have indentured slaves. And beyond that, all we know is that he was either wronged or he believed that he had been wronged by Onesimus. Um, Philemon most likely met the Apostle Paul and was led to Jesus at the church at Ephesus. So we have Asia Minor, which is what nowadays is Turkey, right? The church at Ephesus was out on the coast. And... um, Philemon was led to the Lord there, and then with the help of a man named Epiphras, who was from that church at, uh, at Ephesus, Epiphras at Epif- Ep- Eph- Ephesus, say that fast. Um, Epaphras plants a church in Colossae, which is about 80 miles inland, and that's where Philemon lives. And so he becomes a leader in the church at Colossae. He hosts the church there. He becomes well-known for being a refresher of hearts and um, affectionate may very well have been his nickname, right? So he just, that's how he's, how he's known. Um, and that's about all we know. Oh, and then, of course, then there's Onesimus, the slave. All we know is that Onesimus has done something wrong or is believed to have done something wrong. He ran away and somehow, way. Whether he knew that Paul was in prison and knew where that was, or if it was like an amazing God thing that, he, that they were connected together, um, somehow he ends up with the Apostle Paul and, uh, and is led to Jesus by him. So let's do this. Let's read uh, the book of Philemon. Here's, uh, here's, here's Paul being assisted in prison, writing his, his prison letters, but we're going to read through the epistle to Philemon, and then we'll uh, break it down. We'll just do a good old-fashioned Bible study. Is that cool with you guys? Awesome, you're being a great audience so far. Thank you. All right, so the letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and coworker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty yet i would rather appeal to you on the basis of love and i paul do this as an old man and also as a prisoner of christ jesus i am appealing to you for my child onesimus whose father i have become during my imprisonment i formerly uh, formerly he was useless to you but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me i'm sending him That is, my own heart back to you. I wanted to keep him here with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason that he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will Repay it. I say nothing about your owing me your very own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One thing more, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's the epistle to Philemon. Now you can tell your friends, we studied a whole book of the Bible in our church today. Could you imagine, okay, and this is why I wanted to tell the story about this. Can you imagine Philemon reading that for the first time? That's some, pretty, that's some pretty revolutionary stuff, not to mention he would have needed to read it again and again just to figure out what the heck Paul is saying. He spends so much time setting up this big ask, and then the ask comes along, and it's like, whoa, what? What am I being asked to do? So we're going to study through um, this uh, letter and see what was being asked to Philemon. We're going to see how it re- uh, relates to us. And um, in the first hour, I mentioned that on Friday, I had this moment as I was getting ready for this where the hair stood, on my, stood up on my arms as I realized that I'm trying to study and figure out what this epistle of Philemon means. And that's exactly what Philemon would have had to do. He would have had to read through this letter again and again and again, looking at specific words. And you know, the, the letter is, was addressed to him, right? But it also said, and to the church in your house. So his church is gonna be like, hey, what do you guys think that this means? And they're gonna discuss what's in there and what the implications are. That made my hair stand up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm studying Philemon's letter in the same way that he is. So we're going to jump in and we're going to take a look at what all is being said here. You guys doing good so far? All right. From the beginning, Paul says, Paul, what does he say? A prisoner what? Of Jesus Christ. He's imprisoned for Christ, but he's right from the get-go reminds him, I am a prisoner of Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I've been bought with a price, and he's given me a mission. I belong to him. I am his prisoner. And Timothy, our brother, Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, he's using all of this familial Uh, tribal, if you will, kind of language, we're all in this together, and we have a cause and a purpose. So from the beginning of the letter, Paul is setting this up so that Philemon will ultimately be able to hear what he needs to ask him. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. Philemon, you're doing a good job. You're a godly man. I see you working in this church You are doing an awesome job. Know that. And, you know, we always tell somebody when we're about to ask them something, be like, bro, you're doing a great job, really. But there's this thing. uh, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. When we think of sharing our faith, we, tend, we typically will think like, you know, you're, you're sharing your faith, you're telling somebody about how you've given your life to Christ, how, you, you know, how you've decided to um, model after, after God and has, His Spirit has come, comes and lives in you. And um, when you think of sharing your faith, we think of sharing it with other people. But this word here is a little bit different. When, when Paul speaks of sharing your faith, he's using the word koinonia, which is a layered, uh, multi-layered word. But the basic gist is that with koinonia, it's a mutual partnership. It's something that you do together. So, uh, I pray that the mutual partnering of your faith may become effective when you perceive all that we may do for Christ. A loaded sentence that doesn't quite say what he's, gonna, what he's going to ask, but he's still, he's still setting this up. Master, uh, uh, Paul is a master uh, rhetorician, and he is establishing uh, laying a groundwork for what he's going to ask him, I've res- I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And here Paul uses another word, Greek word. He uses the word splunkna, which is unusual in the New Testament to to use splunkna when you're talking about hearts, because usually when you're talking about heart, that's like emotion language. He wants to go even further with that, and he says. Uh, um, because the hearts of the saints, the splunkna, is where we get the word spleen. So he's saying, the guts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I see you, Philemon. You're not just saying the words. You're like all in. You're doing all that you can to refresh the guts of the saints. And I see that. My brother. There's that familiar language. And he uses that brother word to pivot to where he's going to go next. For this reason though i am bold enough in christ to command you to do your duty paul is he's the leader of the gentile church he is the top guy and uh, everyone would have had this tremendous amount of respect for him and all paul would have had to do is say this the whole letter could have been done in one sentence philemon just do this and philemon would have said sir yes sir but that's not what he does he doesn't tell him this is what I want you to do. He, he wants him to think about what it is that he's asking him to do. I would rather to appeal to you on the basis of love, just as Christ appealed to people to follow after love. When people would say, Jesus, where do you stand on this particular, particular issue? This thing that I really am excited about, Jesus, what do you think about it? What's your policy on that? I really wanna know what you think we should do. And Jesus repeatedly says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. and Love your neighbor as yourself. He appeals to people on the basis of love, and that's what Paul is doing here. I, Paul, do this as an old man and also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm appealing to you for my child. Now, whoa. This would have, this would have really rocked uh, Philemon's world. I'm appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during imprisonment. That would have to stir up a whole lot of emotions in Philemon because Paul is his spiritual father. He's not your spiritual father, he's my spiritual father. And 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 to think that, you know, there would be that issue alone, but he's also thinking, and he's a slave. He's not my equal. whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. Now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. Paul is a wordsmith, and he wants Philemon to know that useless, he has been redeemed. Don't forget, buddy, you were redeemed also. I'm sending him, that is my own heart, my own splankna, my own guts, I'm sending him my guts back to you. I wanted to keep him here with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment. By the way, he's here helping me. You're not here with me. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. And I can't help but read that and feel like, man, passive-aggressive much? And I don't know if that's some um, you know, thing that's lost over time or if that's just Paul just being Paul. I mean, he was, he was extremely bold about asking for things that he needed for the gospel because he was so focused on his mission. He had no qualms about, being, you know, hey, this might seem a little pushy or this might seem kind of rude. That's not Paul. He just, he goes for it. Um, but here, he's still making Philemon think, why don't you just come out and say it? Perhaps for this reason he was separated from you for a while. Maybe God wanted him to be separated from you so that you could be reunited because you can't be reunited unless you're apart, right? But reunited no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. He's not just saying, Onesimus, you need to go back and you need to ask forgiveness from your master. And, and that's that. He says, No, I'm sending him back as a beloved brother. I want you to welcome him the way that you would welcome me. How would they have welcomed a brother? How would they have welcomed the Apostle Paul? If that church knew that Paul was coming, they'd be like, Paul's coming. We got to get everything ready. You know, banquet, yada, yada. Welcome Onesimus, the slave. Who did this awful thing to me back as a brother? That's the gospel. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Don't just receive him back in the Lord. Well, we're Christians now. We're, we're, we're Jesus followers. Glad you're in the club, bro. You stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. We don't have to interact with each other. But no, he's saying, not only as in the Lord, as brothers in the flesh doing life together. Paul, in his prison gospels, speaks of this new humanity that we're called to. Take off your old self with your old titles and your old uh, hierarchical structures and, and, and put on the new self. And in Colossians, which is Philemon's church, he writes this to Philemon's own church, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on your new self. We're all equals now. And also in uh, in Ephesians, uh, another one of the prison letters. I guess it was a hot topic for Paul at that time. He says the same thing. Slaves, obey your earthly <clears throat> excuse me, your earthly masters with respect and fear. I'm not eradicating this indentured slavery. I'm going to go one higher. I'm going to say, if you find yourself a Jesus follower and you happen to be a slave, serve as though you're serving Christ. That's your life of worship. But then, and this is the important part, he continues, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Called to love. Called to a loving relationship. We're running out of time here. I want to make sure that um, I'm able to get to this next important part. Paul says, So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, I will repay it. Paul stands in the gap for Onesimus saying, "I'm, I'm standing in the gap for what he has done. You hold me responsible. I say nothing to you about owing me even your own self. Reminder, you used to be just as lost as him. You've been redeemed just as him. This all balances out. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my splankna in Christ. And this, I think, verse 21 would have been the biggest part of the ask. And I imagine the Colossian church spending a lot of time discussing this. Confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. He hasn't been super specific to begin with, but he's asking to do even more. How do you do more? How do I know what to to do if you haven't told me what to do? You ever been in a um, conversation, I will say, with your spouse? And and you're going. Just tell me what to do. Just tell. I just I just want this to be better. Just tell me what to say. Tell me what to do. Paul's not doing that. He's saying, I'm going to point to where you should end up, as beloved brothers. But I'm not going to tell you how you're going to get there because that's something that only you can do. You're the only person that can do that. You're going to need to engage, and you're going to need to. Uh, join together in this mutual partnership together. And it's going to be messy business. There's going to be days where uh, Onesimus and Philemon, where you're looking at each other, and I imagine them in that scene where they're just, they're on the floor together looking at each other going, what do we even do with this? (laughs) Over the years, I've taught um, many people how to play guitar. And it's always been fun to see the various stages where different individuals will feel like they have become a musician. And it ranges, Every I've said before, it ranges bef- between somebody who walks out of the guitar store with the guitar on their back, and they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a musician. Nope, not a musician yet. And they start to learn the chords. They start to, hey, I can play all the, all the chords that are in the key of D. Oh, that's so awesome. You're getting closer. But you're not quite a musician yet. They might be able to sit at home and play a, a whole song, including the boring parts, from, from start to, to finish, and be like, Woo, I'm a musician. But you're not really a musician until you get in that moment where you have take all of your plans, all of the things that you know, and you get out into this arena right here with other musicians who have brought their plan, their agenda, their egos, their anxieties, and it all kind of mashes together and musicians together. (laughs) And you go from being a musician to someone who practices and engages in the partnership of musicianship. And that's exactly what Paul is calling Philemon and Onesimus and us to do, to engage in mutual Christian partnership together. And it's going to be messy. And it's not even in the scripture. <laughs> we read this and you, you know, you, you see what, you've, once you figure out what Philemon's being called to do, uh, subconsciously you kind of think that Philemon just kind of went, okay, done. But we don't get to see any of the messy work. We don't get to see Philemon and Onesimus looking at each other going, how are we supposed to go from master to uh, and slave to mutual partnership with no help. Okay, guys, figure it out. It must have taken weeks, months, years of figuring that out. So some obvious things that Philemon needs to do if he's going to be able to engage in mutual partnership. You almost don't even need to think of these, but he's got to be willing to come to the table. He even has to be willing to have that discussion. I mean, in the worst of his attitude, he could have be, been like, psh, I'm not doing this. He's, he's not my equal. But no, he's got to be willing to come to the table before he can even forgive Onesimus for whatever he is, whatever it was that he had done or that he had thought that he had done. He needs to set aside his pride because he's got neighbors watching him. He's got other slave owners watching him, expecting him to, okay, you're going to, this is the part where you flog your slaves so that our other slaves can see. He's got all these different issues of pride that he's going to have to set down. He has to set down his position of power. And he has to acknowledge that here's poor Onesimus, who's got nothing. He's sold himself into indentured slavery. He has no bargaining chips whatsoever. He's completely at the mercy of the system. And here Philemon has all the power. He's done nothing illegal. Like I said, we know now that slavery is immoral, but in his day and age, it wasn't considered immoral. He's got all this power. Well, Onesimus has no power to set down, but Philemon has loads of it. He's got a huge hill in front of him of being able to resign all of that power. And lastly, and this is the most important thing, if we uh, take anything away from today, this is what it would be. Because we're, we're going, I don't own a slave. I don't feel like I'm a position, in a, a position of power. But Philemon had all these things that he knows, but it can't change the way that he feels. He can change his behavior, but it can't change the way that he feels. He can change the way he acts on the outside, but inside. He needs to be willing to partner with God himself. He needs to be able to partner with Christ himself. And this is where this otherwise just kind of social um, story, our world is crying for uh, equality. You don't have to be a Christian to, to, to want equality. This is where this becomes a faith, a faith thing because he's got to be willing to say, God, I can't change how I feel. I can't change the fact that for centuries, millennia, my people have been up here these people have been down here and now you're calling it to all even out i can't change the way i feel about that i'm going to need you to change that for me and we don't get to see any of that in scripture but you know what that's what this is that's what this mutual partnership is that we that's why we part of why we gather we gather to worship but we gather to engage as in mutual christian partnership as god's people and that's what we're being called to do. So I know we're uh, running late, but I want to make sure we got to some epilogue. We don't know what happened. We don't know the end of the story. And there's some ideas, and, and, but we don't know for sure. We don't know how Philemon responded. We don't know if Onesimus was set free and maybe sent back to help Paul in his uh, ministry. We don't know. But here's something that we do know, and it, we'll just get our imagination going. Timothy, who was with Paul, in the epistle, down the line, Timothy, he becomes the bishop of that uh, church at Ephesus, becomes the, the lead pastor, if you will, of the church at Ephesus. After he's martyred, the new bishop of the church of Ephesus compiles all of the letters from the apostle Paul that he saved over the years. And Bishop Onesimus is arguably, we don't know for sure, He could be the guy that has got these epistles of Paul into the Bible for us. It's just a name. It could be another Onesimus. It could have been somebody named after Onesimus. We just don't know. But when we're called from an ordinary whatever into this extraordinary partnership, stranger things have happened.